All right, well, good morning, Bridge family. And hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 14. That's going to be today. And um, hey, man, while you're turning there, just want to say welcome to the Bridge and uh, welcome in our Columbia campus right now. My name is Josh. Um, I'm the senior pastor of our church. And uh, let me just say, you guys look really chipper this morning. Uh, it is. That's right. Everybody's really excited about today. This is what I call Benny Hinn Sunday. Everybody fall back. That's what happens uh, today. Some of you guys, I see, I can actually see it right now. Some of you guys are like, that's not funny. Okay. If you didn't think that was funny, you're going to hate our church. <laughs> let me just let you know that. We don't take ourselves seriously at all here. We take Jesus real seriously, and uh, that's just how we roll. So I do want to go ahead and uh, just welcome you right now and, uh, and just uh, welcome you to today. So welcome in our Columbia campus, uh, welcoming in those who are joining in with us online. Um, actually, cool story. We got a, uh, a, a note from somebody in California a couple weeks ago who is just kind of doing, in the middle of the week, uh, like a, a watch party with 20 of their friends. Uh, four bridge worship gatherings, they sent us a $5,000 check to No More Fatherless because it had grabbed their heart. So yeah, man, just want to say thank you to them. And uh, man, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Well, dude, uh, I do just want to give one last push into something that's coming up, not next week, but the next. Um, coming up two weeks from today, we are starting our series that we're just calling Asking for a Friend. And once a year, what we do is we do what Jesus sometimes did, where Jesus would often preach in response to a question from the crowd. And so once a year we do that, I'll take all of the responses like from our Easter surveys, and, uh, and you guys vote on top responses, and, uh, and we'll end up preaching whatever is hottest on our church's heart. So if you could do this, if you could head over this week, last week of voting, to bridge.tv slash vote, bridge.tv slash vote, and just vote that guy in, whatever is like most urgent to you. I do want to say this for, for everybody who was here last week. Last week, the question, how does the Bible help my sex life, surged to the top. You're all perverts, okay? That's all of you. So, uh, man, just do that, and if you could uh, vote right there, um, that'd be awesome, and then we'll lock in that series uh, coming up in two weeks. Um, all right. Well, guys, today, uh, what we are doing, we are in the third week of a series that we are just calling Imagine a Church, okay? Um, so far, has this series been good so far? I've really liked this series so far. That's right. It's been really good for me. Um, what we're doing is, if you haven't been in, um, 15 years ago, when the people who originally planted the church, the bridge sat down. They sat down on one faded day in a living room, took out a blank white sheet of paper and wrote those words, imagine a church at the top of the page. And they prayed and they fasted uh, and they dreamed honestly about what kind of church God would have them plant. And what came out on that sheet of paper over the next few days um, is the church in which you are worshiping today. All right. Now, if you didn't know this, um, we right now are standing on the precipice of a new chapter in our church's life. Um, if you're at the Spring Hill campus, when you drove in, you saw broke ground on the building this week. Looking good out there. Columbia, I keep warning you, your time's coming. That's going to happen. And, uh, and so as we do this, what I want to do is our leadership, we just want to like, hey, Let's all like gather around the proverbial couch again, except this time there's not 15 of us gathering around that couch. Like this time, 3,200 of us are gathering around that couch and praying and fasting and seeking God. What kind of church would you have us be in the coming years? All right, now here's where, where we're going today. Um, I, I'm really excited about today. Uh, sermon title today, let me say it and then let me go there. Sermon title today is Imagine a Church that does greater things than Jesus, okay? Now, that, that may sound really weird. I'm gonna explain it here in a second. Imagine a church 
that us greater at things than Jesus. Now, this is the type of sermon where I'm going to need your help, okay? So everybody do this right now. I want you to right now here and in Columbia, applaud like I just said something amazing right now. That's right. No, 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 no. Applaud like you're actually saved. Like right now. That's right. That's, really, that's good. That's very good. Here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to respond to me into an awesome, awesome sermon today. That's what's going on. And uh, it's one of those days. So John 14, pick up with me in John 14, verse 12. And let's get at it and talk about where we're headed as a church. Here we go. Jesus says, truly, truly. Now, I just want to point this out to you, okay? In our English language, there are over a million words. In Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke, there were about 6,000 words. So here's what happened in that language. If you wanted to emphasize something in Aramaic, you didn't have 10 words. Like for big, you couldn't say, oh man, it's enormous. It's gigantic. You know, it's massive. What you would do to emphasize something in Aramaic, because they only had one word, is you would say the word twice. So when Jesus right here, when he says, truly, truly, he's saying like, bank on it. He's saying that whatever I'm getting ready to say, it's a Steph Curry jumper. It's a LeBron James chase down block. It's a Browns loss in overtime. You know, this is automatic. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And here comes the sermon title greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. Whatever, that is a fascinating word. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That is absolutely staggering, okay? Now, can we be really honest? Um, when you guys first read that verse, or if you stumble across a verse like that in your Bible reading, uh, you probably read that and you kind of scratch your head, like, what does that mean? Greater works than Jesus. In fact, show of hands here in at Columbia, um, has anyone here ever healed a leper, okay? Has anyone here ever raised the dead? Uh, has anybody here or at Columbia, have you ever spoken to a hurricane and it obeyed you like a toddler? Actually, like a toddler is a bad example. Has it ever obeyed you, right? That has probably not happened. So what in the world does it mean for John 14 to say, you are going to do greater things than me? What does that mean? Okay, well, quick theology lesson. lesson. Um, what the Bible is saying here, what it's pointing out is that our works are greater in the sense that every one of Jesus' earthly miracles pointed forward to his, quote, greater ability to save us from our sin. Uh, Let me explain that. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus does his miracles, um, they're not just sort of random acts of power. Um, Jesus never stands in front of a crowd and sort of just goes, hey guys, like, let me prove to you that I'm the son of God. And uh, he just flies up in the air and uh, does a couple backflips. He never uh, just kind of snaps his fingers and goes, man, To prove the sonship of deity, uh, I'm going to encase myself in a block of ice for three days. You know, nothing like that. What he does is he's always doing the same category of miracles. Uh, He is, uh, he very often, he heals lepers by touching them. By the way, this is very important coming up in the sermon. What Jesus is doing when he heals lepers by touching them is he is reversing the Old Testament principle. In the Old Testament, if an unclean thing touched a clean thing, the clean thing became unclean. When Jesus came, he said, I came here to establish a new covenant. And when Jesus walked around healing lepers who were unclean by touching them, he was reversing that Old Testament principle and establishing a new New Testament principle. In the New Testament, when Jesus, a clean thing, touches an unclean thing, the unclean thing becomes clean. Jesus is doing that. He opens blind eyes. He opens deaf ears. 
he raises the dead. Why are all of his miracles in these same categories? Well, here's what's happening. Jesus' miracles did not show the naked fact of his power. That is not why he did miracles. His miracles pointed forward to the greater redemptive purpose of his power, his ability to save us from our sins. Let me show you how this works. So for instance, now what Jesus is doing for every person who wandered into a worship gathering feeling unclean because of something you have done. Jesus who is clean comes forward and the cleanness of his righteousness touches us in the uncleanness of our sin and the clean thing makes us the clean thing makes us unclean things clean. You see, now Jesus comes and what he's doing is he's putting his, his, uh, his godlike hands on the deaf ears of our soul and the blind eyes of our soul, opening them to see the glories of Christ. He is raising us up in the spirit and giving us his Holy Spirit to give us new resurrected eternal life with him forever. Are you guys seeing how all of Jesus' earthly miracles, they pointed forward to the greater miracle that he would do in saving us from our sins? That is what Jesus is saying when he's saying, my church is coming. You are going to do greater things than me because through us, the body of Christ, we will see salvation come to every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Amen. That's what's going to happen through the church. In fact, we even see this. Nick Ripken uh, is a, uh, an American missionary who has traveled all over the world, uh, primarily in places where persecution is hottest in the church. Um, in his book, The Insanity of Obedience, which I highly recommend, uh, Nick Ripkin, he describes visiting Russian Christians who are under intense persecution. And he tells a story that when he got there, they were all telling him these amazing miracles of God that always seem to show up whenever intense persecution falls on the church. But what he noticed was, as they were describing like Acts-level miracles, they never ever used the word miracle to describe the mighty works of God in their midst. They reserve that word for one thing and one thing only. The only thing that they would call a miracle is the conversion of people to Christ in faith. Why? Because that is the, quote, greater work that we will see happen through the body of Christ's church and church family. What God is calling us to do is to commit our lives to this greater work. The salvation of people who are far from him. God's heart is broken for them. He does not rest until they are brought home. That is the mission of this church. Now, can I just say this? Let me, let me go off on a little pastor rant real quick, okay? Uh, l- l- let me Spare me some, some grace right here. Church people love to talk about reaching the lost until you actually do it. That's what I've noticed. I love to talk about reaching the lost until you actually do it. So it's like, man, if I say, hey, man, we want to go reach the lost, what happened 10 seconds ago, 30 seconds ago, applause happens. But then when we step out and we begin to do it, it's like, oh, man, but that means I got to move to a different service or campus or we'll be like, oh, no, man, I got to give up my seats or I got to give generously. I got to serve on a ministry team. All of a sudden, it seems like it's a lot less exciting. Or people like even here in our church, they walk in and be like, oh man, it's just too crowded here. Uh, The parking lot is like an episode of the Hunger Games. You know, I just don't know if I want to... People say things like, man, all this changed, Josh. We're just constantly changing, constantly adding services, planning campuses, expanding this thing. And people say things like, man, all of this change is just a little uncomfortable. Guys, can I just lean in real quick? 
Jesus going to the cross was a little uncomfortable, but he did it for the salvation of sinners. We simply must always be a church. Come on, man. We simply must always be a church who commits ourselves to the greater work of seeing the lost saved and coming home to a saving knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Can I just, again, let me just kind of riff on this pet peeve. We're in a season of our church's life where, you know, right now we are seeing the mighty works of God in our midst. And we are, man. It's like there's a thousand more people in worship gatherings today than there were one year ago. And so now it's like, man, there's this little small rumbling that I feel starting to happen in our church. Um, People say things like, man, Josh, the church is just getting too big. Like, it just seems like no matter how, we be, how big we get, you guys are always, how can we get bigger? How can we reach more? How can we expand? And then the question comes, like, man, how big is too big for a church? Can I, can I just point something out really quick? Um, nobody ever drives by a hospital and says, man, that hospital's just too big. They're helping too many people. Yeah. Nobody ever says that. Guys, we are doing something more important than helping people get better from a flu. Listen, let me answer that question. If you right now are asking the question, how big is too big? Or how big is big enough for us as a church? Here's when our church is big enough. Our church is big enough when there are no more lost people who are destined for hell. Our church is big enough when every orphan in the world has a home. This church is big enough when 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is no longer the most segregated hour in America. Listen, listen to me. This church is big enough when the glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's when this church will be big enough. And here's my greatest fear for us right now as a church, that as we have grown larger, there's this natural inertia that's moving us from mission to maintenance. That is an inertia that every church that God moves in has to fight. And that's what Jesus is pressing against here in John 14. Uh, Let me just kind of like, you know, while we're doing this, imagine a church thing and we're kicking back to like early bridge years. One of my biggest fears right now arises from the fact that I was here when this church was planted. My dad planted this thing. I was on that couch 15 years ago in college watching my dad rub two sticks together in Spring Hill to plant this church. And what's hard for me is now I look back at the early days, the founders of the bridge, and guys, like, they were all in. I mean, it was like they had this captivating dream for what God might do through broken people willing to be used by him. And listen, there were people who sold businesses and moved families from out of state to plant this church. There were multiple people among those 15 who they just opened their homes for some of them for years for leaders to live with them who would come alongside of them as missionaries in Spring Hill, Columbia, Franklin. There were, listen, there were people, I remember, there were people in early bridge prayer meetings and their prayer request was that they could get a raise. But that prayer request was not so that they could upgrade their lifestyle. They were praying that because there was a specific mission endeavor that God had put on their heart that they personally wanted to be able to fund. And they were just saying, God, would you please increase our income so that we can do this for this church? Now, here's my question to us as a church in 2018. 3,000 people later, does the all-in faith of those original founders still characterize us today? That's my question, okay? Now, listen... What the Bible says, it calls us to be people who go all in for this mission. Greater things, all in for that. I want you to ask the question like, man, what does it look like for me to be a person who goes all in for the greater works that God has called us to? 
Um, it, to, just to give you a little analogy, uh, I'll give you a breakfast analogy. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat a second breakfast right after this service. Listen, here, so here's my breakfast analogy. This morning, some of you guys woke up, and you may have had like a wonderful breakfast of bacon and eggs. That's a good breakfast. Come on, man. That's a good breakfast. Amen. That's a good breakfast. That's right. Freeze. That's right. That's right. We're excited about that. Bacon and eggs. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, in that breakfast, two different things contributed to your breakfast. The, a chicken and a pig. Okay? Bacon and eggs. Okay? Now, listen. Watch this. The chicken made a contribution to your breakfast. The pig went all in. All in. They were forever altered by the decision they made to go all in for your breakfast. And guys, I want to ask you, are you the chicken or are you the pig? Are you willing to go all in for the mission that God has called us to and say, Father, I am here and I'm laying myself on the altar to be a living sacrifice for the mission that you have called me to, whatever that requires of me. Now listen, what you're going to notice is there is a bold promise in this passage. Um, In fact, we have at this church, we have staked our entire present and future on the promise that Jesus makes in John 14. And and it's it's a little confusing because what Jesus says, he says, whatever you ask for, if he says, he says it twice, if you ask for anything in my name, I'll do that. Anything. If you just ask me now, I'll be honest. Everyone in this room, everybody in Columbia, you have asked for something before and God has not granted your request. What in the world does it mean for the Bible over and over again to promise whatever you ask in my name, that I will do for you, okay? Well, let me start with what this doesn't mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. I'm gonna burst some of your bubbles right now. It doesn't mean you can walk out of this service and go, dear God, please give me a sports car, a supermodel wife, and a million dollars. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? It doesn't work like that. Okay? Here's what this does mean. Let me explain this passage. Um, there's a very famous, it's like a, a coffee cup verse. This is something your grandma would knit on a doily. It's a Psalm 37.4. A very famous verse. It, it simply says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Have you guys heard that verse before? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what a lot of people mean is they think, okay, here's what that means. I just need to delight in God. If I just delight in God, he'll give me anything I want. Sports car, supermodel wife, million dollars. I just need to do that. Um, There's an entire theology built on that kind of premise, a prosperity gospel, okay? That is not what Psalm 37.4 means. Here's what Psalm 37.4 actually means. It means when you delight in God, he puts the desires he wants you to have in your heart. And when he puts those desires he wants you to have in your heart and you pray the desires that he put there, he will always answer those requests. That's what Psalm 37.4 means. Let me give an analogy of this just to make this super clear. Um, my wife, Jana, uh, her birthday is, uh, is May 2nd, coming, coming up on, or it was on May 2nd. Jana, Jana's a little older than me. She's two months older than me. I call her the family cougar. That's our thing. It's our little joke. She loves it when I talk about it too, by the way, okay? Um, but, but listen, every, every time Jana's got a birthday, on birthdays, I don't wake up on Jana's birthday just kind of going like, hey, I'm excited to buy what I want. Like, that didn't happen on Jana's birthday. I don't wake up on May 2nd, like, with a great present, and I, I present it to her. She opens it. I'm like, hey, babe, happy birthday. I got you an Xbox One and Black Ops 4. You know, happy birthday. You know, that kind of thing. No, no, what happens is I wake up on May 2nd, and there's something that I know that Jana wanted, And because I delight in Jana waking up on her birthday, my desire, whatever her delight is, that becomes my desire. So she opens up essential oils or non-essential oils, as I call them, you know, whatever it is. That's what she opens up. But what has happened is 
Her desires became my desires as I delighted in her. Do you guys understand that the more you walk with the Lord and the more you commune with him and the more you just delight in God as your greatest joy in life, what happens is your own desires are transformed. Can I just point something out to you? Have you ever noticed that all throughout the book of Acts, the church is under intense persecution? Have you also ever noticed there is one thing the church in the book of Acts never prays for? Have you noticed this? They never a single time pray for deliverance from persecution. Do you know what they do pray for? Boldness to witness in the face of persecution. Do you know what happened? They delighted themselves in the Lord and he gave them the desires of their heart. And some of you right now, what's happening is you are beginning to walk with the Lord. And as that happens, he's transforming your desires from being comfort to being calling, from being safety from persecution to being salvation for persecutors. He's transforming desires from making a dollar to you having a desire to make a difference. He's transforming your desires from you simply desiring to be delivered from pain uh, to to. For let me just let me see if I can get this. Let me just read it so I get it right, Dagummit. He's transforming your desire not just to be delivered from pain, but for God to use your pain to sculpt you into the image of Christ. And what he's doing right now, church, what Jesus is saying in John 14 is he's saying, if you will just delight in me, if your greatest desire becomes me, then I will put my kingdom desires inside of your heart. And if you ask for Anything in my name, I'll always give that to you. Anything you pray for, I'll always give that to you. Some of you right now here, you may hear me say that, like, hey, pray for anything you want right there, and God will give it to you. And you're like, wait, 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 Pastor Josh, I thought you said you didn't believe in the prosperity gospel. I do believe in the prosperity gospel, just the prosperity of Jesus' kingdom, not yours. See, that's what's happening in this passage. He is calling us to these things, okay? Guys, let me, let me bring this home like this. One of my favorite, we are in the midst of a season in our church where we are seeing a mighty move of God now. Uh, a, a passage that has become almost like an anchor verse for me. It's a weird passage when you read it, you're like, I don't even understand what that means. It's Amos 5, 4, and 6. Watch, watch what it says, okay? God prophesies and he says, thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. Now now watch this. He says, don't seek Bethel. Do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. And then he says, here's here's what I want you to do. Don't do those things. Seek the Lord and live. Now, when you first read that, if you're anything like me, I was like, what the world does that mean? But then I started studying this passage and I realized all three of of those places, Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba, They are places where God did a mighty move in the past. Bethel is the place where Jacob met and wrestled with God. Gilgal is the place where Israel emerged from 40 years in the wilderness. Beersheba, that was a place where God delivered Abraham by giving him a treaty with Abimelech. Now, here's what God's saying in this passage. They had become so focused on what God had done in the past that they stopped expecting to be used by God to change the future. And what God is saying in this passage, he's saying, stop looking at what I did in the past. Stop doing that and seek me now. Now listen, they were doing that in Israel then. The church has the exact same tendency to do that now, except now it's not Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba. It's the Second Great Awakening. It's the Jesus movement of the 1970s. It's the Protestant Reformation, okay? Now guys, what God is saying in this passage, he's saying, stop seeking the Reformation, 
Stop seeking another Jesus movement in the 1970s. Stop talking about old stories. I want you to create some. My greatest acts are in front of you for anyone who will step out in faith and believe that I will do them. And he's calling us as a church to step forward and do it. Can I just give you some math and prove to you that the greatest works of God are in the future? I read this this week. It blew my mind. So right now, there are 6,400 unreached people groups in the world. There are 6,400 either tribes or nations, people groups, language groups, who have never heard the life-giving name of Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. The Bible says that every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will hear and will be reconciled to God. Do you know what that means? It means the greatest works of God literally have to be in front of us because all of them are going to hear. The only question left is, are you going to be used by God or is it going to have to be somebody else? See, that's what God's doing in this passage. He's calling us to this. And guys, can we just like, let me just shoot you straight. We're seeing this right now. A thousand new people, 122 baptisms in one day a few weeks ago. I think right now we figured out from what we have heard, this may not be true, but from what we have heard, this church has the highest adoption per capita rate of any church in America. Guys, wake up. We do, that's right, it's amazing. It's amazing. But, but guys, here's what I want to say. Wake up. You don't have to read about revivals. You're in one. Like that's happening right now. And what God is doing is he's saying, I want you to go forward. Can I just tell you what I'm asking for? I'm just going to tell you. Like some of these things are things that have just remained in prayer journals. I've never kind of said this out loud. I'm just going to say it. Here's what I've been asking for for years. I've been asking that God would use this church to adopt at least 1,000 orphans. I've been praying that God would use this church to raise up at least 1,000 pastors that pastor other churches. And I've been praying that God would use this church to reach a minimum of 10,000 people for Christ. Does that sound fun? That sounds real fun to me. I want to do that. And listen, I genuinely believe if we will just stop and ask and say, Father, for your glory, we want to see this happen. Then he says, whatever you ask for in my name, that I will do for you. And here's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it by the power of his Holy Spirit. It is the only way that he ever does anything. In fact, I I wished I could have preached the entire chapter of John 14. But I'll I'll just have you notice one thing. Did you notice that right after Jesus preaches this passage, the very next thing he says, your little Bible heading, it says, Jesus prays for the Holy Spirit. That's the very next thing. I mean, you do anything. And then the very next thing is Jesus prays or Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Let me give you one fear that I have for us as a church as we grow. Here's a little fear. Um, My fear is that we slip out of like this movement, like this avant-garde, like anything, take the hill, uh, this kind of this spirit-filled movement uh, church, and we slip into like just becoming cool church. Okay, and you guys know this. There's a difference between cool church and spirit-filled following Jesus church. You guys know there's a difference between those two things? Now, now watch. Here's the difference. In cool, cool church, here's what they rely on. They rely on lights and marketing and personality. That's what they rely on. And listen, cool churches can do some really cool things. Cool churches do trendy things that attract a crowd. Because I don't want to be a cool church. I want to be a spirit-filled church. And spirit-filled churches, what they do, spirit-filled churches, they don't do trendy things. They do greater things that break the power of canceled sin and set the prisoner free. That is what we want to be about here at this church. We want to press into the greater things 
that God has for us. And, and it was really funny. I was preparing for this message this week. And all week, like, you know, I'm leading up to the, the message. And every, every week, I'm just praying, like, man, God, give me the words. Give me the stories. Give me something that, like, anchors in for our church what this means. And, uh, and this week, like this week of my personal life, I just got reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit. Quick story. About three years ago, I was in sermon prep one week. And uh, while I was in sermon prep, I had this irrepressible urge. This doesn't always happen. Uh, but this week, this irrepressible urge that I needed to preach the come home love of God to somebody who might stumble into a worship gathering high that week. And so I did. Walked into our little warehouse uh, auditorium. I preached and I did that. Like, hey man, there might be somebody here who stumbled in high. And I want you to know that God gave me a word just for you. And I uh, want you to come home. And that week I preached that. And I finished, and I waited, and nothing happened. <laughs> and so I went home, and uh, for the last three years, I've just kind of been, you guys ever have that happen where it's like, man, I stepped out in courage, I stepped out in faith, and man, I, you know, I, I don't think I saw anything happen. And for the last three years, that's been me about that week. I never thought about it again. This week, Tuesday morning, I roll up to my car wash, and uh, I'm getting ready to roll into the, the, the car wash, and uh, a car wash employee knocks on my driver's side window. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I introduce myself. He introduces himself, and, and, uh, and he just says, hey, um, are you the pastor of the bridge? And I was like, yeah, man. And he said, hey, uh, you probably don't remember me. There's just something I need you to know. And he, he, said, he started like this. He started three years ago. <laughs> three years ago, I walked into a service at your church, and, uh, and I was high that day. <laughs> and that day, you preached there might be somebody there um, who was high, and you preached that God had a great love for me and that Christ had died for my sins. And in that moment, I knew that God was speaking to me. And three days later, I gave my life to Christ. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. That's right, man. Now listen, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what God has poured out, not just on me, on every single person in this church, that we might see the glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And that's what God's calling us to. So, what does that mean? What's that mean for you right now? Like right now, what does all that mean for you, okay? Um, a couple things, like for you right now, okay? Number one, number one, I need you, every single spirit-filled, blood-bought person in this church, I need us to begin asking greater. Here's my question to you. Look back at all of the prayers you prayed in just the last week. And ask yourself, how would the world be different if God answered every prayer I, pray, I prayed this week? And for some of you, it'd be awesome. For some of you, it'd be like, man, there were children adopted. There were unreached people groups that, that came to know Christ. You know, great movements of the Spirit were poured out. Uh, but can, can I shoot you really straight? For some of you, like, your food would have been really blessed. You would have had amazing traveling mercies everywhere you went. And man, I want us to be people who, who we ask and we believe that anything you ask in my name, that I will do for you. Okay, so one, I just want you to be a person who asks greater. Okay, now watch this. For some of you, some of you, you're at a spot where you need to become a part of the greater movement that, that God is doing on earth through his church, his bride. Um, for some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is today, right after our 11, our 11 o'clock services at both campuses, We've got our growth track. That is how you get plugged into the body of Christ here. Uh, and you begin being used by God among the people of God. And so for some of you, it's just like, man, 
That's what I need to do. I need to stay today. We'll take care of child care and your lunch, and you need to make that your action step, okay? Now, third one, okay? And there's four. There's four, okay? Third one. For some of you, it's this real uncomfortable one. You're like, oh, man, give. Okay, gosh, geez. Well, let me just say this. Man, vision requires provision. And man, every single one of us has to ask that question. Man, am I going to make a contribution like the chicken or am I going all in like a pig? And man, what some of us need to do is maybe for the first time in our entire life, we just need to ask the question, God, how can the resources you have given me be leveraged for your greater mission among the nations? And for the first time in your life, you may need just to take that step. And maybe it's not 10% of the beginning. Just start somewhere. Just start somewhere and see what God does to leverage your resources for his greater mission among the nations. And now here's the last one. And it's my favorite one, and it's the most important one. For some of you, like it's time right now to give your life to Christ and have that power take up residence in your soul. And here's where some of you guys are at. Um, some of you, you've been hanging out at the bridge for five or six weeks, and you've just been feeling the pull of God on your soul, and you're beginning to realize that you need to take a step of faith, maybe for the first time in your life. And if that's you, and you need to cross a line of faith, um, here's what I'm going to do. I just want to pray with you right now. And so church here in Columbia, can you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? And if that's you, and you do, you need to cross a line of faith, maybe for the first time in your life, or or begin a relationship with God in a real way, would you just pray this with me right now? Just pray. Just pray to God in your seat. Father, I know that I am a sinner. Pray, God, I confess to you that I have not put you first in my life, but that I have prioritized myself and other things ahead of you. And in so doing, what I've done is I have become a sinner. But... God, I believe from your word that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins and pay the penalty for every way where I failed to put you first. And Father, I believe that when Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, that I can receive the free gift of his forgiveness and salvation by faith, apart from works, not having anything to do with what I've done, And Father, I receive that today as a free gift of salvation in Christ. From this day forward, as best I know how, I'm going to live for you first. Thank you for making me a son or a daughter of the living God. Now church, um, could you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed? And uh, here in a second, um, if you prayed that prayer and you crossed a line of faith or... Um, you moved from having like a religion to a relationship with God. You want to make that move? Here in a second, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand in the air. And here's why I'm doing that. Um, It's because I believe that something solidifies in you spiritually when you respond physically. And so, man, if that's you and you cross that line today, um, on the count of three, would you just slip your hand in the air? Okay, on the count of three, do that for, for me. Count of three. One, God loves you. Two, You came here for a reason today. Three, would you just slip your hand in the air right now? Right now, amen. Real high, so I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen, 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 amen.